Father, Lord, I thank you for today. God, I pray that this, this message, Lord, would just really impact us, God, would challenge us to desire you more, pursue you more, Lord, to challenge us to see just more of your wonders in our everyday lives, God. Lord, I thank you that you are mighty and that you are good, Lord, that this is about you, not about us, Lord. This is about your kingdom, not about our kingdom, Lord. And I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you just be filling each and every single one of us today. Fill us up. Let us hear this message, maybe a familiar message, with new ears. Lord, I pray we go out of here today thinking of you in a bigger, more awesome way. In your name, amen. So there was this guy, and he was a normal pastor, and he was actually kind of part-time. He was a plumber and a pastor, and um, he lived in Bradford, kind of tough northern guy. And uh, this was in the 1800s in England, and he just heard that some crazy stuff was happening further north, that people were saying that people were being filled with the Holy Spirit, and amazing things were happening there. People were being healed, people were speaking in tongues. And so he sets off, says to his wife, look, I'm going to go up this week. I'll be back for Sunday service. And so he goes up and he spends a week there and people are getting filled with the Spirit. But, and he's getting prayed to be filled with the Spirit. Nothing's happening. And um, so gets to his last day. He's a little bit like, man, you know, nothing's happened. And he goes to, he, he's going to leave. He goes to the pastor's house. The pastor's not there. The pastor's wife's there. And she prays for him. She prays for him. Just again, she says, let's pray one more time that you'd be filled with the Spirit. Praise that you'd be filled with the Spirit. There's a knock on the door. She goes off to the door, and there in the kitchen, he's just so filled with the Holy Spirit. In that moment, his whole life was transformed. And that guy is Smith Wigglesworth. Some of you guys may have heard of him. He was, had this incredible ministry where he traveled all over the world, saw amazing healings. He had this incredible healing ministry, and the, the Holy Spirit um, flowed through him in just an incredible way and touched many people in, in England and around the world. And he, um, that week he went back, or that day, because he was on his way back, he went back, he preached that Sunday back at his church. And in his wife's journal, in her notes, she says, my husband came back, but the man preaching wasn't my husband. That there was this thing that had happened to him that had completely transformed him. So today we're in Acts 2. 1 to 20, but I'm going to read the passage 1 to 18 to you just now. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, take a look at that and follow with me. We're in NIV. Um, yeah, we're in NIV. And it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now remember, Jesus has ascended. We spoke about that last week. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, 
near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So we're at this section in Acts, we're at Pentecost, the um, amazing moment of Pentecost. So we're just going to go through this section and unpack the, that a little bit. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came. When the day of Pentecost came. So why Pentecost? Why not the day before Pentecost? Why not, you know, how come it was Pentecost itself? Why not the day before? Why not the day after? You know, there are three, there are three festivals annually for the Jews where they all come together. They all come back to Jerusalem, wherever they are. Pentecost, one of these. So at Pentecost, there's this international crowd. Five days before, it's they just wouldn't have been there. Another reason why Pentecost, Pentecost had this agricultural significance. The word Pentecost is a Greek word, but the Hebrew word for that festival is the festival of Shavuot, which is, in English, we call it the festival of weeks. So you guys may have heard of this festival. It's a first fruits festival. It's this harvest festival, this time when people are bringing the first fruits of the harvest to God, to thank God. It's the sign that actually the harvest is beginning. And Pentecost is this moment, spiritually, where the harvest, like all the work has been done, but now the harvest of the world, the harvest of people coming into the kingdom is beginning. And almost as those first fruits, you see those 3,000 there at that moment, at this time, added there. And then Pentecost also has this amazing redemptive significance as well. So these... Three key festivals, you've got Passover, you've got Pentecost, you've got the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover is about the escape. Remember, it's based in the, the story of Moses and the Jews being in captivity and slavery in Jerusalem, uh, sorry, in, in Egypt. And that's that first Passover where it's the final plague where God says that he'll kill the, um, the spirit of death will come through, the, the, new, the firstborn will be killed unless... That spotless lamb is slain and the blood is put across the doorposts and the lintels, but anyone inside the house will be saved. And that, it's at that point then that the Jewish people escape from Egypt across through the Red Sea. Then we have Pentecost. And Pentecost, I'll explain in a minute, but that kind of symbolizes Sinai, this nation being born, this new covenant coming. And then we have tabernacles where they're wandering then in the wilderness, depending on God, living life in God. Now, the word Pentecost in Greek literally means 50. And 
Pentecost and Passover are linked because Pentecost meaning 50 is 50 days from the Passover itself. And it's the same in the Old Testament where you have the Passover that the Jewish people leaving, you have 50 days until they reach Mount Sinai. So sometimes we can maybe think Pentecost, yeah, that, that's the name given to when the Holy Spirit came. But actually, it's much older. And there's these beautiful redemptive pictures in the whole thing that's going on. And so we've got this picture then of Pentecost, but also Sinai. What happened at Sinai 50 days after the Jewish people escaped? We've got God coming down. Remember, he comes down on the mountain in fire. And there's this mirror between the Old Testament story and, and kind of Jesus' crucifixion, which happened, didn't it, at Passover, and 50 days later, Pentecost itself. Interestingly as well, you've got the Jews, they come out of Egypt, not by their works or their good deeds, but they come out of Egypt and are rescued from Egypt by the grace of God. And then we see that mirrored again in Christ and his sacrifice that he pours himself out for us so that we aren't free from Egypt, but we're free from the bondage and slavery to sin. So Pentecost is God coming to dwell with his people. Remember Mount Sinai, but the it's all around that time that the ark is given and God comes and dwells with the ark. And even when they camped, they had to they camped in a formation around the ark that God would be at the center of his people. And Pentecost takes it that step further where God in fire and power comes down. Pentecost essentially is God, God's presence coming to dwell with a rescued people. So verses one and two says, they, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a loud, sudden, sorry, su suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So we've got this symbolic language of this mighty wind coming and filling the place, this, this wind, this fire. And we hear the picture of tongues of fire being above each of them. And when we hear that, it can be easy to think, okay, well, maybe Holy Spirit's a bit like a force, something like that. But the Holy Spirit isn't a force. The Holy Spirit isn't a force like in Star Wars, where, you know, the force be with you and you use the force to do stuff. The Holy Spirit's not an it to be used. It's not a feeling. It's not an energy or a kind of an impersonal power. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. We see that he can be grieved. We see that in Ephesians. We see that he can be outraged, see that in Hebrews, see that he loves, see that in Romans 15. So he isn't an impersonal force, he is a person. But he's more than just some random spiritual person, he's God himself. He, the Holy Spirit is God. In John 14, 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. In John 14, 23, it's, it's just a bit further down. It says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And so that verse in, in 16, where it says, he's going to give you, says, I will give you another helper. Well, the Greek for that, see, there are two words in the Greek that he could be using. One word is the word hetero, which 
we kind of we come into our language like we have the word heterosexual, which means the opposite, something different from from that. So like a male and female. So it would be using hetero would mean another is coming is completely different from me. But what Jesus uses, he uses this word alos, which means exactly the same, just like me. That one is coming, I'm sending a helper, just like me, to be with you. And, you know, that's big because Jesus made some big claims about himself. Jesus, Jesus said that he was God. He said, he said, before Abraham was, I am, which is the word that they, they use for God. He, you know, he forgives sins. He, he says to people that your sins are forgiven, something that only God can do. He says that one day he would judge the world. And so Jesus is saying that this person of the Holy Spirit is coming and he's just like me. And kind of this is the bit that it gets a bit like, oh, it's the super simple stuff of the Trinity, right? So <laughs> um, Jesus, is, Jesus is saying, basically, I'm going away. The Holy Spirit is coming. And so therefore... I'm coming. But it isn't that Jesus is saying that I'm not really going away and I'm going to come again in the form of the Holy Spirit. And it isn't, he's not saying that I'm going entirely and I won't be here at all and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So it's that Jesus and the Spirit are so one that when the Spirit comes and he comes into our lives, Jesus comes into our lives. But he, he also isn't so identical. He's not so identical to the Holy Spirit that when he comes, that at the same time he isn't already risen and on the throne in heaven. Simple. Amazing. <laughs> One God and three persons. And that, you know, that's how, that's how in John 23, the one I just read out, that Jesus can say, speaking about him and the Father, that we will come and make our abode with him, because they are one. Reuben Tory, he writes, if we think of the Holy Spirit as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? And that can be a real challenge, because sometimes people like, and we'll come into that a little bit later on, but good to remember, it's not like a battery, like I need a, like a more, another Holy Spirit battery. How can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more than me? So it's about having a relationship and that God himself is with you in such a strong way that power flows, not that you're asking for like a top-up of some superpower or something. So the Holy Spirit isn't some impersonal force. He is a person. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is this... It's to experience this divine joy and power, the presence of God with us in all our days. And it's, not, it's promised for every one of us, and that's something that I want for us. And, you know, I can't think of anything better than that. So on one hand, you say, okay, Holy Spirit isn't a promise, but how come it's, be sorry, Holy Spirit isn't a force, an impersonal force, but how come it says stuff like wind and things like that? Why does the Bible not? make it different well actually if you look in the old the, the original languages you look in the old testament hebrew the hebrew word for spirit is ruach which means wind or breath the the hebrew the greek word in the new testament for spirit is pneuma 
which is also meaning wind and breath. So it's like this holy wind, holy breath that's rushing into that place. So verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So they didn't just kind of jump in the middle, didn't go to one of them. These tongues of fire came to rest on each of them. In Matthew 3.11, it says, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. It's John the Baptist speaking. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when we look through the Bible, we see that fire so often represents the presence of God. Remember, you've got Moses, and he's... God speaks to him from the burning bush, this bush on fire, the presence of God in that bush speaking to him. And then when the Jewish people are in the wilderness and they're walking, they follow the pillar of fire by night that would guide them. And then when God's presence descends on Mount Sinai, descends in fire. And the truth is that suddenly it's not God separated from us, but that at Pentecost, every single believer becomes that burning bush, becomes that witness to him. In the temple, they had a lamp that was before the altar of God and had a flame in the lamp that was the perpetual flame. But now the, the flame isn't in the temple, the flames are amongst us, that we are the dwelling of God, that we're the, we are where the people meet God today. That's, like I find that, that, that challenging, I find that humbling. See, in the Old Testament, God has a temple for his people, and that's why they all come in, don't they? From all over the world, they come in, so all these festivals go to the temple. In the Old Testament, God has a temple for his people, but in the New Testament, he has a people for his temple. And you'll see that in a minute, about how suddenly it stops being come to this place, and it switches about empowering these people with God to go to the ends of the earth. And we actually saw that last week, didn't, didn't we, about going to the ends of the earth. This is the um, maybe a, un a very unique thing about Christianity amongst rel world religions is you can have religions of imitation. Maybe some streams of Buddhism can be like this, where it's like try and imitate the leader as best you can. And then religions of obedience, where there's follow these laws, and maybe sort of Judaism and Islam, uh, religions like this. It's a bit more follow this set of laws. Whereas... We live under grace, but something even more like unique about Christianity there is that this thing of indwelling, where God himself comes and makes his home, comes and makes us his temple. You see, the church isn't a community of believers who live like Jesus. That may occur, but that's not the goal, that we're, we're a community of believers who live like Jesus. That's not it. See? Rather, the church is a community of believers in whom Jesus lives. And that is a massive difference, a gigantic difference. In verse 4a, first part of verse 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. We may look at that and think, yeah, okay, I get the apostles and those guys, they've hung around with Jesus, they've, they've kind of got the certificate and stuff, they've done three years with him. But what about, surely not everyone. Not everyone was good enough to receive the Holy Spirit, right? But that's the amazing thing about this, that it is for everyone. It's for all people. But all people received the Holy Spirit, not just, just a few people. 
in Matthew 11, 11, it says, Truly I tell you, amongst those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so somewhere, somewhere there's like the least in the kingdom of heaven. There's that guy who's like, <laughs> is the least. But that guy is still greater than John the Baptist. And is it because he's more holy? No. Is it because he eats more weird stuff? You know, locusts and honey? No. It's because God has taken up residence. Because when John was alive, Pentecost hadn't come yet. But even in the very, like the very weakest beginning kind of believer, just trying to get it, who's filled with the Spirit, it's still more amazing. Right. He's still greater than John the Baptist because God Almighty dwells in him. Ten days before Pentecost, Jesus had said, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not just, there's, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to kind of hover next to you and just be sort of around, you know, but actually you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That this is the intention for all believers that we would be Filled with the Spirit. Now, let me go to the Greek. The Greek word where we get baptized from is this word baptizo, which means that the word literally means to immerse, to submerge, or to overwhelm. So if you imagine I had a sponge, a bucket of water and a sponge, I debated about doing this, but I called it at the last minute. It's way too cold. Um, so a, a sponge here, you know when a sponge is just super dry and it gets, you leave a sponge out, Hong Kong, it'll probably just go moldy because it's so damp. But most countries, it just gets so crusty and dry and rock hard. But you plunge it into that water and it gets filled. But it gets more a sponge. It doesn't just take on a bit of water. It takes on all the water. And so when you pull it out, it's dripping. And if I said, look, just pass this sponge round, pass this baptized sponge round, you'd be like, no, it's okay. Why? Because you're going to get wet. Other people are going to get wet. It would affect those around you. And that's the, that's, that's the picture. That's the intention. That we are so filled with the Spirit that we are pouring, like, that it pours out of us. That He pours out of us. That just being with us gets people impacted by the Spirit. There's a story of Smith Wigglesworth where he sat in a carriage and there's a guy opposite him and he doesn't know who he is, but he just said to, he just said to him, I don't know what it is about you, but you just being here with me convicts me of all the wrong I've done in my life. And I know that you can like, tell me of the way of salvation. And that just that the Holy Spirit was just so in and through him that even when he wasn't speaking, just impacted people. And we see this word being baptized with the Spirit just throughout Scripture. We see, and it's referred to in different ways, like filled with the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. You see that right across Acts. In John 7, 38 to 39, it says this. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So it was first filled up in order to pour out. We're called to be his witnesses. And there's an element where it's going and sharing and speaking and like intentionally stepping out and doing these things. 
but there's also this part that when we're filled with the Spirit, we can't help but witness. We can't, we can't help but see, see where he's leading us into. So the question there is, is being filled with the Spirit a one-time event? Is it kind of, okay, become a believer, filled with the Spirit, and, you know, we're just, we're set for life. You know, it's like a one-hit wonder. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled here, this verb, it's this present continuous form of the verb. It literally means be being filled, be being filled, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, if you imagine we've got a log fire here, we make the fire, set it lighter, it will burn for a while and it'll burn strong. And so you may have heard some people say like, I've heard this before, like why is it when Christians become believers, they seem like super on fire and then after some time, it just kind of dwindles a bit. See this raging fire. Now, if we don't add any logs to that, it just kind of dies down. There'll be heat there, still a fire. But if we keep adding logs, yes, that intensity, that heat is still there. And you know what? A hot fire changes the environment in a room. So I encourage you guys, ask continuously to be filled with the Spirit. Ask people to pray that over you. And it's not that... It's not that you're bad and so this Holy Spirit leaves or anything like that. But it is this, that he's, that his presence and he fills us and we, we pour out. But I believe there's something beautiful about it, not to do with like a volume of power, because then we start thinking of it as power, but it's to do with relationship, right? That I don't think it's a one time like, there you go, there's all this power, just go and live your Christian life and do it, because it's not about that. It's about us and our relationship with God and us and our, our hearts, close to God's hearts and hearing God's voice. So verse 4b, it says, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So we've got this began to speak, which is a very human thing that they, they begin to speak. It's not like God suddenly possesses them and they start going off on one. But then the Spirit enables and that's divine. So you need to understand about the work of the Spirit. It's not out of control, but at the same time, we need to let a little bit of control go. You know, take, be led. We need to allow the Spirit to lead. And so I think often this is one of the things why people maybe don't think about it, but can sense, especially if they're leading meetings or in a group um, where they're having to head things up, can feel a little bit of um, a little scared when it comes to sort of Holy Spirit stuff because sometimes it's like actually we're taking our hands off the off the steering wheel a little bit. We're not 100% in control. And so we can feel a little bit uncomfortable when we say, God, you go for it. We'll follow your lead. We'll do what you're asking. God, we're listening to you in this and we'll go to that place that isn't super comfortable, but we'll go there. The thing to know, though, is life in the Spirit isn't out of control, but there is an element where we relinquish some elements of our total control. You know, Peter is in control, isn't he? But he still takes the first step out on the water. The Holy Spirit never forces us. It's not like Peter's 
umming and ahhing, and the Holy Spirit pushes him out of the boat. You know, Holy Spirit never forces us. He's, he's a respecter of persons. He's gentle. He's called the comforter, isn't it? I, partly, I think, maybe he's called the comforter because a big part of life in the Spirit is stepping into situations outside of our comfort zones. Maybe where we don't have that total control, where 100% of stuff that's going on, we're not really too sure what that is. So question, a little bit of question about tongues, which that verse spoke about. Can all, believe in, can all believers speak in tongues? Well, we see five instances there where, where the believers uh, speak in tongues. It's unique to the New Testament. You don't find it in the Old Testament. Um, then there's this gift of tongues that benefits others. And then it seems that there's, there's also tongues, like a personal prayer language that we, pray, that we can be praying, praying ourselves and singing in and things like this. So the early believers as well, we see in Acts 10, 45 to 48, as you see that they, they saw that as an evidence that someone had been filled with the Spirit. So you may be thinking, have I not been filled with the Spirit because I've not done this? You know, I don't think that's, no. I think if you look at this, you've got um, a load of Jews who are really against Gentiles, right? But then suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, they start speaking in tongues. And so these these Jews know the Holy Spirit has fallen on the Gentiles. So I think it, it is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. Do all speak in tongues? Well, that's interesting, right? There's this verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 to 30. And it says, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? So the, the inference here is, no, not everyone does, does all, these, all these things, that we could be each having different things. Like some people may be healing more in their ministry, some people more for another. So open to all, but maybe not all. However, looking at this, I see this more as the gift. So in a public setting, these are all very public things. In a, in a public setting, not a private, not a private gift of tongues, but more of a public one. We'll go into it a bit more. So, tongues, when in, in a in a public setting, even it says in scripture that don't even do tongues. Don't if you have a tongue, make sure there's someone there you know who can interpret the tongue. And so, there is this thing of tongues, sharing a tongue, and that somebody would understand and interpret what that tongue is which is a private setting. And I, yes, I've, I've never done that myself. I've never experienced that. And maybe I've experienced it once or twice. Um, but then there's also the private prayer language of tongues where we can pray ourselves. We can sing. We can sing in tongues. We can pray for the things that we don't know what to pray for maybe. But we pray in tongues and it's like our spirit connects with the spirit and prays. And so we can Pray for things that our minds don't necessarily know what we need to pray for. And tongues itself, it can be an earthly tongue, like we see it, we saw in that passage, where they're speaking in different human, like earthly languages, or it may be an angelic tongue as well. Verses 5 to 11, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
utterly amazed, and they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. This is this purpose of Passover and the sudden change where it's not God coming to be in one place and people come to him, but God filling his people to go out to the ends of the earth. And we see this verse in Habakkuk 2.14, and it says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, Jesus on earth, he goes from being present and right there with the disciples to this big switch where suddenly he becomes omnipresent in his disciples, not with them, but in them, everywhere. And there's this interesting link to Genesis 10 here, where Genesis 10 is the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, where Babel, you've got this confusing of languages where man has come together to build this monument, stay together and make a name for themselves. Whereas in, in Acts 2, you have an understanding of language where it suddenly goes to all these different languages where the, where the message is about going to the ends of the earth. And it's not about making their names famous, it's about making his name famous. In verse 11b, it, it says, we hear, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus and the gospel. Now, though if you come and say, you know, the Holy Spirit told me to kill this guy, not going to be the Holy Spirit, right? Um, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and the gospel. He empowers us to be witnesses, to, to speak. It says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. That's John 15, 26. He will testify. He will He will tell of the awesome things that Christ has done, that he came to earth, that he died for us, that he took upon himself the total wrath of God that should be on each of us so that we could be reconnected with God and have life in him, life forevermore, but also be called righteous, be filled with the Spirit here on the earth. In verse 12 and 13, it says that they're amazed and perplexed, doesn't it? Now, what does this mean? Some, however, make fun of them and they say they've had too much wine. These are three reactions you're going to get when you start sharing the gospel. You'll either get amazement, which is great, or you'll get people so confused, they're perplexed, or you'll get criticism. And what, how do they criticize these guys? They say they're drunk. Now, I don't think these guys in sharing the gospel and standing up are throwing up everywhere. I don't think that's what's led them to think that, but it's their attitude and their character and one, what's one of those things that happens when, when people are drunk? They're very bold, aren't they? They, have, they, they lose their inhibitions. They, they lose inhibition and they're completely fearless. You know, you have like some tiny drunk guy who's trying to take out a guy as big as a mountain because he thinks he's Hercules you know, or can fly. And so that, there's something interesting there for us to think about. That actually, when the Holy Spirit fills these guys they change. They change to have these characteristics of boldness, no fear, no inhibition. And it's like that verse says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, 
it's not just some random thing like you know like no don't use that color paint let's have some mcdonald's like these things go together completely okay verses 14 um 14 to 20 rich can you can you put that up i'm just going to read just because of time from the, the part with um from the part with joel as Peter stands up and says, look, no, 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 they're, they're not drunk. And he says, this is what the prophet Joel's spoken about. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So Joel here, in that prophecy, he's challenging Jewish prejudices at the time. That it's not just Israel, that it's not just the Jews, that it's all flesh. And suddenly prophesying doesn't go from these, these kind of mega prophets, these kind of key guys, you know, to super prophety kind of guys, it suddenly goes to the many. It goes to men and women. It goes to the young. The, those, if you think of their culture, they have to go through a whole process of coming of age and things like that. It goes to the young. Those guys who aren't trained. Those guys who aren't good enough. It goes to the old. Men, women, young, old. And it says that this era ends with the day of the Lord. And I, I just want to encourage you guys that never think you know i'm not holy enough i'm not spiritual enough for me for me to be filled with the spirit to be able to prophesy to be able to do to be able to heal the sick to be able to do this stuff you know every it's not based on law it's based completely on his grace and it, that he's promised to pour his spirit out on all flesh so this day of the lord it's a day that that passage speaks about it that a day is going to come when the gifts cease when we don't need them you know that they're, they're passed away but when will people no longer need to be healed when will people no longer need to be evangelized and when will we no longer need the power to evangelize and the power to show god's signs and wonders to a lost generation to a lost people and i think that's such a powerful thing because sometimes we can think okay like all this supernatural stuff yeah it's a bit here but like I think of that more to do with the heaven stuff, you know, but actually healing, prophecy, words of knowledge, miracles, wonders, all these things, all these gifts of the spirit, they are for us to empower us, to, for him to work with us, to be a witness to the world. You know, once, once he returns, once everything's done, there's no, you know, there's no need for those things. Now, I don't know the, the way sort of supernatural stuff works in, a supernatural world and eternity and stuff but the thing to get the point is those things aren't for another day they're for today because that's what we need they're the tools we've been given to witness about him so lastly just coming to end how do we receive and like people's experiences are so different you know like i've I've had a number of different times kind of being filled with the Spirit. I remember one time, it was at Soul Survivor. It's a big youth conference. They said, anyone want to be filled with the Spirit? Come to the front. We had like 800 people went to the front. So it's like a massive tent. You know, there's probably people, uh, 
a line about five people deep from about here to the swimming pool, like down there, just a huge thing. And, and I was up near one end, imagine it was up near one end, and it's out there, and they were praying, and suddenly there was like this wave of God, and there was just, it, this wave just passed, and you just saw, it was like a Mexican wave, but no one got back up again, and it just went, and you just saw, not everyone fell over, but just people just dropping, and just being impacted, and, and hit, and I, I just remember it hitting me, and just being so full of, just feeling God's love and power, just fill me, and and break me in a sense, in a beautiful sense, and just being so full of joy and awe and wonder. But then I had a friend who was, this was years later, he went to the church, said, could someone just pray for me? It was like a Thursday afternoon. They prayed for him, nothing happened. He got back on the bus, went to the top of the bus, sat there, and then God filled him with the Spirit. And he had a massive light encounter with God at the top of the bus and just kind of, didn't. he didn't... Um, I think he stayed on for like two bus routes or something like that. But then, you know, sometimes for me, I've had times where I've prayed to be filled with the Spirit and it's not been this kind of super emotional, external feeling, falling down and crying experience. It's just been like a warm glow, just a, mo just a moment, you know. Actually, from from... What I think is that sometimes there are moments where God just needs to, in fact, this is a, a reference, but I think his name is Moody. Like sometimes God just picks you up like this, like a dad picking up his, his kid, you know, and just like, I love you like that. And so, and that does something for that moment, for that season. But sometimes when you're being filled as well, it's just like hands on the shoulders, you know, it's like hope like that. No, none, nonetheless powerful, but the way we experience it may be slightly different. So don't... Don't feel that I need to fall over and roll around a load to be filled with the Spirit or something like that. So, four things to receive. Believe. You've got to believe the promise that the Holy Spirit has been given, that that great gift has been given. And ask as well. Sometimes we just go through life and just forget to ask. Which of you fathers, this is Luke 11, 11 to 13, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we've got to ask and do it with people. You know, in the, old, in the, in the Bible, we see laying on of hands, praying for people to receive the Holy Spirit, people receive the Holy Spirit. So, by all means, come ask me, James, can we pray to receive the Holy Spirit, ask friends? You know, I, I pray for myself to receive the Holy Spirit as well, but it's good to have laying on of hands, people lay on hands. And, and then lastly, receive. There has to come a point where we stop asking and start receiving. There's, you know, there's, there are, there are these very important things. So we ask in our prayer, and then in faith we say thank you and, and receive. It's like taking a gift. It's like asking for something, and you're handing it to me, and you just keep asking for it, or I keep asking for it. So thank him. Let those words come from our hearts. So this is, this is for us all. It's not just something for like super spiritual people. It's for us all. And I, I hope that we just... Uh, growing in this and experiencing the Spirit more and more.
in our lives, that he, he is that, he's the one with us at all times. It's, the Bible says that he will teach us all things, that he'll guide, like he's, the, he's our guide, he's our comforter. That I, th- I think it is deeply exciting. So if this is something you've not really experienced much or you don't know much about, please, it's not like an aside, please come and let's chat sometime about it, go for a coffee, things like that, and pray just for fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit day by day. So I'm going to pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here right now, that you dwell in our hearts, Lord. I thank you that you are just so mighty and you are so wonderful, that you're so awesome. Lord, I pray that you stir us and challenge us to expect more. To put, Lord, I pray that we would get that boldness, Lord, to step out, that we would actually step out trusting you more than our circumstances, our surroundings, um, our ability, Lord, but that we'd remember that the Holy Spirit, that dunamis power, is power not just of strength but of ability, Lord, that you are the one who gives the ability, that you are the one who brings the ability, brings the ability to share the word, Lord. And I pray that actually from this, coming out of this week of fasting and prayer, God, for each of our prayer lives, Lord, our time really chatting to you and spending with you, Lord, I just pray for each of us, Lord, that you would grow us, that you'd take us to new levels, not just for our spiritual lives so we're super happy, but so that we can see our worlds impacted. We can see our schools impacted, our communities impacted. Lord, in your great and awesome name, amen.